With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You have an uneasy feeling in the darkness. It's there, but you can't see it. Why is this room so cold? You're home alone. You hear footsteps, whispers, or even laughter. You feel a presence. Is someone or something watching you? And the fear sets in. I'm K-Town, and you're listening to Paranormal Fears. Now here's part two. When so I remember calling my husband and father-in-law, and they came upstairs, and we all stood there and looked at the mirror, and, <laughs> and never in my mind did I phantom that something had the ability to communicate on a mirror, <clears throat> excuse me, with soap. I just never heard of it. I didn't think it could happen. So I thought, okay, which one of you is doing this? I remember saying to my husband, are you playing a joke? Or What's going on? And everyone said, they all said, we didn't have anything to do with it. My husband, father-in-law, none of us did. So we said, well, we'll see. So I erased it. I erased it. We left the room. And I remember saying, all right, if you're still there, write again. We waited a couple minutes. We went back into the room, and there was writing on the mirror. So we proved to ourselves, the four of us, that one of us wasn't doing it. No one was getting into the house doing it. The presence in the house was writing on the mirror. When it started writing on the mirrors, because clearly, you know, whatever this is, it followed you to your new home. Did you seek help at that time? No, not okay. quite yet. All right. Uh, it at first pretended to be my mother-in-law's dead sister. It would write things that it was it was my mother-in-law's dead sister. So my mother-in-law actually started to believe that she was communicating with her dead sister. It started to call her a name that only my mother-in-law knew. It was Nini. And this was a name that her sister had called her when she was like five, six, seven years old. Nobody else knew it. So my mother-in-law said, no, nobody else knows that name but my sister. It's got to be my sister. But the entity would start writing very strange things. Like it would say to us, don't go into the attic. Uh, on this house, you go up the steps to the second floor. On the left-hand side, or at the top, there's a door that leads into an attic. And it would say, don't go into the attic. There's danger there. Don't go into there. There's a bad wire. It can cause fire. And I remember we were, I was we talked to my husband. I'd say, well, if this is her sister communicating with her, why wouldn't she be saying, get the wire fixed? She's saying, stay out of there. It was almost like it didn't want us to go into this area of the house. So I said to my, I remember telling my mother-in-law, we have to find someone to help us. We have to know what's going on, you know. This isn't, this is, could be dangerous. Finally, my mother-in-law started to admit it wasn't her sister. When I confronted the entity in the mirror, because when the way you could talk to the entity was you went to the mirror and you talked. Now, it wouldn't write right in front of you. You had to leave the room. 
and you'd come back and it would answer your question. And when we started confronting it saying, you're not her, you're not her, her, her sister. We know you're not her sister. Who are you? And then it started to get hostile and it said, we, we, I said, what do we call you? Well, who are you? And he said, I am Prince. I am to be called Prince. Now, what was your husband's state of mind during uh, this time? He wouldn't have anything to do with it. He wouldn't, it was writing on the mirror. He didn't want to look at it. He didn't want to see it. He was frightened of it. So was my mother-in-law. My father-in-law was like indifferent to everything. It was like it didn't matter to him. He was like in his own little world. Oh, yeah, who cares? Even though this, <laughs> these amazing things were happening, he wanted to just kind of ignore it, too. So he had no reaction, negative no, or positive? No, he had very, very strange reaction in that there was barely any reaction. You know, it was almost like it didn't matter. Wow. So right. I remember saying to my mother-in-law, we have to get help. This can't be, I mean, this is getting worse and worse. Because she did, it was like, don't tell anybody what's going on. Don't say anything. They're going to think we're crazy. They're nuts. Nobody can help us. I'll keep, so she would pray and pray for God to help her. So finally she went to a church and asked a priest to come. She said if the priest comes, he can bless the house and anything in the house will leave. So that was our actually our first attempt to try to get rid of Mr. Entity. Uh, the priest came. He was an older gentleman. Came in the front door into the foyer. Never left that spot. He's supposed to go through every room of the house and bless it with holy water and say a prayer. He wouldn't leave the hall. He, he did a cross, the sign of the cross in the hall. He said, okay, this house is blessed. I've got to go. So you're saying that he probably sensed something very, very evil in the house. He, he must have. And I remember my mother-in-law started to cry, and she tried to explain to him what was going on because she was desperate at this time. And he, he said, no, no, it's, you're just imagining this. And he turned to me and said, women, when they get this age, they get a little crazy. He made the crazy sign with his finger on her by your ear. And he said, I've got to go. And he literally ran to his car and took away and drove off. And I remember my mother-in-law was so upset because she thought that the priest was going to help. And he just ran away. How very sad. It's, it's very interesting that you say your mother-in-law was extremely um, religious because I've heard experts say that these types of things happen to people that are very, very religious. Yeah, she was a very devout Catholic. Very. She didn't go to church. She didn't go to church because when her mother stopped, when her mother died, she used to go to church with her mother. She stopped going to church, but she didn't stop believing in God or praying. I mean, she was Every night she prayed, said the rosary. She was a very religious lady. But she was also very frightened. She thought, as long as I keep praying, God will protect me. And like I said to her, God helps those who help themselves. We've got to find somebody who knows about this who can help us. So our, at that point, our quest began to find someone to help us. Now, I know you said you were not scared at the beginning. But I'm wanting to, because most of the time when people, people just have to see other people scared and then they get scared. So at this point, when you, you clearly know this thing has followed you um, and it's writing with soap on the mirrors now, are you starting to get frightened? Because you were pregnant or you had already had your child yeah, at this time? Yeah, I just time? had a child. I just okay. had Jamie, our first son. No, 
I don't understand why. First of all, at the beginning, it fascinated me. It was like my mind had to understand what was going on. I wasn't frightened of it. It was just something different. By the time it started to get hostile towards my family, I became like in, in a different mode. It wasn't, I wasn't frightened a bit. For some reason, I knew it could not harm me. For some, I just knew this cannot harm me, but it can hurt my mother-in-law. I know, so I became, instead of becoming frightened, I became protective. My, my husband had a bad heart. He couldn't protect. My father-in-law just didn't care. My mother-in-law was scared to death. There was only one person to protect the family, and that was me. So instead of becoming frightened, I became almost stronger because it was like I had to be the one that took care of them. So you go into, it's like you don't have a choice. You can't say, oh, I'm going to be frightened. It's like, I can't be frightened. i got to take care of them. That's right. You're one of the bravest women I've ever talked to, honestly. Oh, thank you. Honestly. It was um, more of necessity. I commend you. Honestly, do. Now, the entity started to focus on your mother-in-law, correct? Yes. It uh, started, I mean, it made her life a living hell. And it also devastated the family and that it, se it separated us from society. We became isolated. It, it separated us. It's like divide and conquer. It, did, it wanted us so that we were away from people, so we didn't have a support system. It was just the four of us, with five with Jamie, and Mr. Entity was almost like our captive, our captor. We were the captives. He uh, would do things if we tried to go to a friend's house. I remember one time we went to my mother-in-law's friend's house to take her out so she could see people. When we were there, when we came home, it had taken the gentleman's wallet where we just were and put it on. We came home, it was sitting on our kitchen table. Now, how are we going to go back to this friend's house and say, First, because she wouldn't let us tell them that we had something going on in the house. Well, by the way, we have your wallet. It, it, it would do things like that so that it would make us so uncomfortable to be around people, we couldn't be around people. If we went to a restaurant, when we came home, the, the name tag of the person who had waited on us would be sitting on the kitchen table. It wanted us to know that no matter where we went, he was with us. Okay, wait, wait, wait. You, you went out to a restaurant and whoever was waiting on you it took their name tag and yes, it was this happened many times it wasn't once every time we went out to dinner because my mother-in-law and father loved to go out to dinner we would go out to dinner when we came home the name tag of the person who waited on us would be sitting on our kitchen table one time we went out for pizza and <laughs> we came home and the, the the like the little spatulas that you take to get pieces of pizza there was two of them sitting on our kitchen table. It was like his way of showing us that no matter where we went, he was with us. Unbelievable, honestly. I'm speechless. Now, let's go back to uh, reaching out and trying to get help. Now, mm -hmm. the was this, a, you said a preacher? Or somebody this from was a priest. Catholic, okay, a priest. Okay, Catholic so, priest. Catholic priest. Okay, so he wasn't there, but how long? few minutes? Uh, probably 10 minutes. 10 minutes. Okay. So obviously he was not um, equipped to deal with this type of, of haunting and he definitely felt that something was there. What did you do well, after that? Did you, what was your next step or your next course of action? The next step, it's, it's, uh, 
there was no place, you know, where can you go to turn to find people that work in the paranormal? It's not in the phone book at that time. This is 87, paranormal research. That thing just didn't exist at that time that we're, we knew of. So we started going to um, psychic fairs, psychic, uh, uh, paranormal bookstores, occult bookstores, places like that to try to find people that knew about this that could help us. Uh, we also uh, tried the university. Uh, we, we contacted Thelma Moss, and she sent out uh, uh, Terry Gaynor, a researcher, um, to come to the house. That was one we talked to. We actually even had the Warrens here. Ed and Lorraine Warren came. Now, what I'm interested, anything happened while they were there? Uh, it did. Uh, they came. They stayed like three days. Uh, let me tell you a few things that happened up until... Warren's came. Sure, go ahead. Go right One ahead. of the things that happened is another thing that is like mind boggling to me. Mr. Entity, like you said, started to focus his hostility towards my mother in law. Now, this is one, all during the time we're trying to find people to help us. This was going on because you don't find people every day to help you. It was like months in between, and all these things would happen in between. He started focusing his, his hostility on my mother in law. Um, he made her life living hell. She couldn't have a wallet. He would take her wallet, and then he would destroy her money, her credit cards, everything that made her, her, you know, made her have her life. He would take away from her. It got to the point where everything that she wanted, she had to give to me, because Mr. Entity would not touch anything that was near me, or if I if I had it and said this is mine, he wouldn't touch it. So she would have to give her things to me. And if it was near me, he couldn't touch it. So I had her wallet, all the things that meant something to her. But her clothes, he would destroy. She'd go to put a pair of pants on, and he he would cut off one of the legs, so she only had one leg and a pair of pants. Or her pajamas, he cut this. He just cut them up into little pieces. He destroyed her clothes. He would take shoes, so she'd only have one shoe, so she wouldn't have a pair of shoes. I mean, he was destroying. Literally, if it wasn't for my mother's deep belief in God and her faith in God that everything was going to be all right, I'm, she would have probably went nuts because it was just, it was unmerciful. I mean, it was constant. Uh, it then got to the point where it became physical against her. If she was sitting near me on the couch, she was fine. If I left or she left, she was vulnerable. I went to the, I remember going to the bathroom one time. This is one of the times I actually saw something moving in the air. I came back in, and as I came in, I see a potato, a raw potato, being thrown across the room, hitting my mother-in-law right in the head. He started to put knives in her chair or where she would sit. Oh, wow. We got to the point where we'd have to go, and wherever my mother-in-law was going to sit down, before she would sit, we used to have to check for knives because he'd take the knives and put them underneath so that if she sat down, she'd sit on the knife. It just was, it was constant. She had to be constantly monitored, constantly protected. Um, one time, this is, this is the, the textbook and how I started calling him Mr. Entity. Um, she, we were watching television. She said she had to get paper towels. We have a little pantry off the kitchen. She went into the pantry to get the paper towels. Mr. Entity shut the door and locked her in and turned the light off. And we heard her scream and we all jumped up and ran to the door. It was when we first, she, I, I remember thinking, why doesn't she just open the door and come out? But to her, the door was locked, but it wasn't locked. I mean, you could open the door, but she couldn't open it from the inside. But when we got in there, she told us, Mr. Entity 
had shut the light off and grabbed her by the throat. And she actually had the bruises on her throat, on her neck. You could see where someone tried to grab her. And I remember I became so, so upset because you get so frustrated because how do you fight something you can't see? You can't see it. You can't, there's, we don't have weapons that you know. I mean, you can't fight it. So I remember becoming so frustrated. I went into the mirror. Well, during this time, my mother-in-law and father-in-law had moved out of the upstairs and we had all moved together into the back master bedroom because that's the only place my mother-in-law felt safe. Because we did this, nobody was upstairs to read the upstairs mirror. So Mr. Entity started to write on the downstairs guest bathroom mirror. So now he would write on that mirror. I remember going into the bathroom and I said to him, I just told Mr. Entity, you will not hurt my child. You will not hurt my husband and you will not hurt Lee. And you are going to treat me with respect and I will treat you with respect and I'll accept nothing else. And I remember I left the bathroom. And I waited and I went in and he wrote on the mirror, I will not hurt the child. I will not touch your husband, but Lee belongs to me. Wow. And I, I went in again and asked him why. why. Why does Lee belong to you? Why do you have the right to touch Lee? And he told me, he wrote out, now when I say he told me, he didn't speak to me, but he wrote it out on the mirror. He would write, I would erase, go back out, come in. He told me a whole story, how that long, long ago, I, got, I, I think it was like back in the 16th century, he had known, Lee had been promised to him in a blood ritual, and the blood ritual had never taken place. But just because it didn't take place didn't mean that Lee wasn't promised to him, and Lee belonged to him, and he had come to claim her. This That's is truly un, un, unbelievable. Unbelievable. What did your, what was your husband's state of mind did he know that all this was happening he knew everything was happening he and he, he wanted he kept thinking we have to find someone to help us so he was trying to find someone desperately trying to find somebody to help us okay and you were uh, still interacting with this with mr entity right right mr entity literally destroyed our house he would go to the walls and he would it was like he would take something sharp and he would gouge in the wall symbols. Now, his symbol was, which we came to learn, the triangle with the tail at the bottom. That was his symbol. That's, he, would, he took that and he, he cut it out in all the rugs in the house. He wrote it on the walls. He gouged it in the walls. Then he did other kinds of symbols all over the house. So it, every day it was get up, make sure Ma's okay, start repairing the house. My father-in-law and I would start repairing the house for the day. It was constant, it was just constant destruction. But I found that if I talked to Mr. Entity, if I went in and talked to Mr. Entity, that's how, like, when I told him I would treat him with respect, I wouldn't call him Prince because for some reason I felt that calling him Prince was giving him like power over me, making me call him Prince. I wasn't going to do that. So I said, I will treat you with respect. I'll call you, instead of it or entity, I'll call you Mr. Entity. That's how I started calling him Mr. Entity. So I'd go in and I'd say, Mr. Entity, you have to stop destroying the house. And he wouldn't answer. But I noticed that if I talked to him and asked him questions and he would answer me, he would use like a lot of his energy to speak on the mirror instead of destroying the house. So that's how our, actually how our conversation started evolving, was more 
towards a method of keeping him from destroying the house and hurting my mother-in-law. Like I said, I would talk to it. It wouldn't do as much destruction. We were still looking high and low for someone to help us. Um, we found the Warrens. I read a, found a book in the library about the Warrens, contacted the Warrens. They were going to be coming out to California for, to, for some convention or something. So they said they'd come and spend a few days around this area to, to help us. They were very, the Warrens were very nice, especially Ed, a very nice man. Uh, before they came, like two nights before they came or a night before they came, <laughs> this was another really strange thing that happened. We were sitting watching television together because we always stayed together because together we we felt safe. All of a sudden I get up to go to the kitchen and there's water on the floor in the kitchen and I hear water running and I go towards the, the stairwell and coming down the stairs like like a waterfall, like a waterfall you see out in the out in the mountains, a beautiful waterfall uh -huh. coming down the stairs from. The, and I remember counting because I said, "Where's this water coming from?" The third stair down, water was pouring out. And it was coming down, cascading down the steps like a waterfall, flooding the house. And I remember calling for help, and they got up. And I remember I ran into because I knew Mr. Entity was doing it, and I ran into the bathroom and I said, "Mr. Entity, stop this! You have to stop it." And it was just like, I ran back out, and it was just like someone flipped the switch. It complete, It just turned off. Everything was still flooded. There was water everywhere, but the water stopped coming out of the stairs. But my father-in-law said, oh, it must be a pipe broke. Or, you know, looking again, even though you have an entity, for a, an explanation, because your brain constantly looks for a rational explanation no matter what happens. There was no broken pipe. There was no way water could come out of that step, but it was. Unbelievable. I'm curious to know how often, okay, so your your mother-in-law was suffering these attacks, the the pants would be cut off, the shoes would be gone, money gone, um, knives in her seat. Um, how often or what's the frequency? Like, is it uh, several incidents a day, some every yeah. week? This wasn't like, you know, like you've watched some of these things, the paranormal shows that happen once a week, once a month. This was from the time we got up to the time we went to bed. It was talking to the entity, calming the entity, fixing what he did, protecting my mother-in-law. And then there'd be a few days. For some reason, Christmas time, all the time he was here, it was like the week or two weeks around Christmas, completely nothing. Nothing would happen. Wow. I don't know. My husband used to joke and say he went on Christmas vacation, but it was like everything just stopped for a couple of weeks. And then after Christmas, he'd come right back. Unbelievable. Let's pick it up to where uh, the Warrens, you, you finally made contact with them and you're hoping to see <clears throat> some relief from this entity right. that's just been terrorizing your family. At this point, how, how many years have passed? Let's see. This was a seven, eight, eight, eight I think two years. All right. All right. So what this happened? Two years into it. Two years into it. Okay. So what happened after you contacted the Warrens and they got there? They graciously said they would come out and help. So they came here. I remember they came. It was towards the evening when they came to the house. Um, I remember they were coming down. We had at this time we had a gentleman staying with us. His name was uh, Gary. I don't want to give his last name. Uh, a, a, a famous 
person in the paranormal, uh, Brian Hurst, who was a, a wonderful man. He was very well known around Hollywood uh, as, a, as a psychic and uh, a medium. Tried to help us. He couldn't help us, but he tried. And he knew Gary, who was a researcher, a book writer and a, a researcher. And he said, told Gary, you know, you have to come and document what's going on. So at this time, Gary was staying with us. And it was the way it was good Gary was here because not only was it the four of us seeing what was going on, but we had another person, Gary, who could vouch that these things were happening. So uh, he was here at the time. The Warrens came in. I remember uh, Lorraine Warren walking down our hall. And as she was walking down the hall, we had a large uh, toy box on the side. And it was pushed right out in front of her like to trip her. I remember seeing that. I remember that because, like I said, very few things happened in front of your eyes. So the things that did happen, I remember distinctly. And I remember her, her commenting on it. And I remember we pushed it back. And they all came and sat around the kitchen table and we explained what was going on. Um, they were, like I said, they were very nice people, especially Ed. You could just listen to Ed for hours. He would tell stories. He was just very personable. Now, um, now, now, what was their initial reaction to your story? Uh, like they, they, she said she would find out what was going on when she got here. We came and sat at the kitchen table. Uh, Lorraine excused herself. She said, I'm going to go around the house and see what's going on, and, and I'll be back. So she walked all through the house. She went upstairs with Mr. Entity. It was like Mr. Entity took over the upstairs. You could start going up the steps, and when you got to a certain height on the steps, you got this feeling like a, a dark blanket being put around you. He, it was like the upstairs became his domain. We didn't even go upstairs. The upstairs of the house just was empty. No one lived there. So she went and went through the whole house, and she came back to the table. We were all sitting there, and she said to Ed, Ed, this is one of the worst entities I have ever come in contact with. She said, it's a demon. She said, but it's not just a regular demon. She said, this is one of the most powerful ancient demons I've ever come across. She said, it's bad, Ed. And well, my mother-in-law was very happy that, you know, they were here to help us. But when I remember my mother-in-law's face when she heard this, because no one before had ever said to us, you have a demon in your house. Lorraine was the first one that said that. And I remember my the color just draining from my mother-in-law's face. She became so frightened and so upset. And they, the next day they came, they didn't stay in our house. They wouldn't stay in the house. They stayed in the hotel. We put them up in a hotel. And the next day they came, and I remember they brought, they had a friend with them. And he was a videotaper. He videotaped everything. And I remember they took each one of us into the dining room. We each sat down, and they interviewed each of us separately. And then they Ed told me, well, I'm going to come back this evening, and I'm going to do the rite of provocation. So they came back that evening. And I remember <clears throat> my mother-in-law and the baby stayed in the kitchen together. And in the living room, that's where we held it, was Gary, my husband. They sat on a love seat. I sat next to my father-in-law on a couch. And then on, it was, this was like a semicircle. And on the other side were two chairs with Ed and Lorraine. And then towards the middle was this gentleman who videotaped everything. And Ed started the rite of provocation. I can't remember words or anything, but he started saying these words. And my father-in-law started to change. 
And I don't mean, you know, I would literally look at somebody and they change into a monster or anything. It wasn't like that. It was subtle changes. The way he held himself, the look in his face. His voice was still my father-in-law's voice, but it had a different timbre to it. It was different. And I remember looking at him and thinking, how strange, what's going on? And Ed had a a sliver of, of wood, and he told me it was a piece of the cross. It was a holy relic, and he held that. And my father-in-law stood up. And when my father-in-law stood up, he was shaped different. He was His back was curled. And his one arm was drawn up to his chest, like, like a person who had had a stroke. You know how they have, like, kind of hold their chest? Yes. And his head was bowed. And he started to walk towards Ed, Ed Warren. And he said to Ed Warren, asked him what he was doing here. And, I, and he growled. And Ed Warren picked up the little piece of Holy Cross and he held it up to my father-in-law and said, you can't hurt me. I have this. And I remember my father-in-law looking at him and said, I'm going to bite that and bite your hand off and chew it up and spit it in your face. And I remember Ed just looked at him and started saying a prayer and held that up. And my father-in-law slowly turned around and went back and sat on the couch and went slowly back to himself. Wow. What were you thinking at? Were you frightened at this point? You had to be frightened at this point. I was frightened because there was like a, a feeling in the, the room of like, I don't know how to put it, almost like a vacuum feeling. You know, it was like that. It was just a strange feeling. And to see my father-in-law change. Right, and it because was like, he had no no reaction one way or the other, right? Right. Ever. Right. It was like he right. was disassociated with it. It was like it was happening, but he really didn't care because he... You know, the relationship between him and my mother-in-law was not a good relationship, you know. They had been together for so long, and but I had the feeling my father-in-law really didn't even like my mother-in-law. So he wasn't, he wasn't there to protect her. He was there just for himself to survive. So for him, to, this to go into him and to manifest, it was like it was very strange. And to see it actually happening and to have that feeling of knowing there's something unworldly, unearthly right next to you. That was it was really strange. We're we're at the point where um you've finally, hopefully, have some relief. You've gotten in contact with Ed and Lorraine Warren who are assessing your situation and now um they are trying to help you get this thing out of your home. Mm-hmm. Um and now your father in law has started to change and in a frightening way you can pick it up from there uh, when that happened they stopped he stopped the, the right of provocation i remember him telling us we'll be back tomorrow to talk about this and they left they went back to their hotel and my father-in-law didn't even know what happened he didn't realize what had happened so we explained to him what had happened and it was like oh what you know he was amazed at it but it didn't seem to bother him that much it didn't frighten him or anything so I, this is another strange thing that happened, which they left. They went to the hotel that night when we went to bed. My, 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 at this point, it got to the point my husband couldn't sleep at night. He would stay up all night and sleep in the early morning hours because he was so frightened. He would, he was, the thing he was frightened of, he used to dream constantly of this entity pretending to be his dead grandmother. And that he would walk down the hall and his dead grandmother would be standing at the end of the hall and saying, saying hello to him and then turning into the entity. So 
he, he just couldn't sleep at night. So we got in the habit of staying up because he wouldn't leave the room without me. He wouldn't go to the kitchen anywhere without me. So I'd have to be up with him. So <laughs> in the middle of the night, my father-in-law gets gets up. It was, uh, the master bedroom is a very large room, and then it has a, a sitting room off it. So we had our bed in the sitting room. They were in the master bedroom. And my father-in-law has to walk past us to go to the bathroom in there. And as he walks past us, he's in the same shape as he was when the entity took over his body. He's curled up, his arms curled to his, his chest, and he walks by us and goes to the bathroom. And so that, that, was, that was really unsettling because it was like the entity was in him again. Wow. That is chilling, 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 honestly. All right, so what happens after that? After you see that, do you do you contact Ed and Lorraine again? I mean, what happens? It was the middle of the night, so we didn't call. Bill wanted me to call them. I said, why? They can't They can't rush back over and do anything. So we waited till the next morning. Uh, they came back over. Uh, they discussed everything that was going on. She again reiterated that she thought it was a, a very, very powerful ancient deity or demon. And... They didn't have the power to get rid of it. They weren't affiliated with any priests out here. Their affiliations are back east. So she couldn't even have a priest come to, you know, do an exorcism. But they did arrange. They had a friend, I think his name was Chuck Moses in Los Angeles, uh, for us to see a priest in Los Angeles who was to come to the house and do an exorcism. He, we went to the church. Um, we talked to him. The Warrens were with us. He agreed to come that Sunday. This was like Friday. He agreed to come that Sunday to do an exorcism. And the strange thing that happened that day, when the priest came to, he knocked on, the, he was actually Episcopalian, knocked on the door. He wasn't a Catholic. Uh, to do the, uh, My father-in-law talked my mother-in-law in, out of letting him in. He told her if she let an Episcopalian into her house to do an exorcism, she'd be excommunicated from the church. She couldn't let him in to do an uh, exorcism. So I, my husband and I, excuse me, didn't have anything to say about it because they didn't want him to come in to do the, the exorcism. So we didn't allow him to come in the house to do the exorcism. So the, the, the Warrens said they were sorry. There was nothing more they could do for us. And they wished us well. And they were very kind. I don't have anything nasty to say about the Warrens because they were, they were very nice. But then our, our quest continued, like I said, to find more people. Uh, we contacted two shamans that came to the house. We talked to them, explained what was going on. They came to the house to try to help us. They needed to go. They said they had to go upstairs, and they asked me to come with them. So I went upstairs with them. There was a, a female and a male, very nice people. They had, I remember, shells and feathers, and they were burning incense going through the rooms chanting. And they opened the door to the attic because I explained to them how Mr. Entity didn't want us going into the attic. And I was standing there with them. And as they would blow the incense smoke into the attic, you could see the incense, a lot of incense being blown into the attic. A second later, it was like someone blew from the other side and would blow the incense back out. It was like they'd blow it in, he'd blow it out. Finally, they said, we have to go in there and confront him. So I remember standing in the doorway and they were in the attic, and inside the attic on the walls is like a pink insulation. And 
and the, the, the gentleman did some type of chanting. He said, I'm going to make him show himself. So he did the chanting. And as I stood there and watched, the insulation that was on the walls started to come off and formed itself into a huge head. Now, it didn't form the body. It was just this huge head, like a five-foot head on the side of the wall. I remember looking at it. I only could see the side view of the head. I couldn't see the front. That's where he was standing in front of it. But the side view was this huge head. And I remember it had a really, it wasn't grotesque. It wasn't like a monster. But it was like it had this huge jaw, a big, strong nose. And on the side of its head was a horn. And the horn is where the ear was. And it just like made a circle and then came up over the top of the head and, and went over the head into the horn. And I remember looking at it, and I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I just stood there staring at it. And then it slowly just dissipated and fell to the ground. Wow. And Were you the only one that saw this? Uh, the two Indians saw it also, the what, two Native Americans. What What was their reaction? Uh, I remember then we came out, and she said to me, we didn't realize how strong an entity this is. She said, she said you saw it, we saw it. She said, but you don't realize what a strong entity this is or what it is. She said, we can't, get, we can't help you. We can't get rid of it. She said, it's too strong. And then she did something which if they had asked me beforehand, I would have said, no, don't do it. Or for some reason, we had a dog. Our dog came upstairs right when, after this happened. And the dog went over and was talking. talking the dog was talking. The dog went over to the the male medicine man who was standing there. And while the lady spoke to me, he was with the dog. And then I remember we all went downstairs and they were leaving. And she took me aside and she said, we can't help you. I told you that. But we were able to put the demon into the dog to give you a little time to try to find someone to help you. She said, I don't know how long it'll last, how long he'll stay in there or what will happen. And I remember saying, well, why did you do that? First of all, going through everything I had just gone through, you, you, your mind opens up to things you don't think that can happen that now you're more open to. The thought of someone saying they put a demon into a dog at one time, I would have said, yeah, sure, right. But after everything I had witnessed and experienced, someone told me that, now I'm more open-minded to it. So I remember saying, why did you do that? I don't want this dog to be injured. And I remember she said, the dog gave us permission. And they left. And from that time until the dog died, which was a few weeks later, everything stopped. Now, Nothing was, happened. Was, was anything wrong with the dog stopped. prior? Was, was anything wrong with the no. dog prior? No, nothing. This, this entity loved water. He loved water. He used to, everything he would, like, if you, if, like, people would come and, I remember uh, a lady that practiced uh, uh, different kinds of magical rituals. She left candles and things, and she's left them burning. Mr. Entity would, would throw them in the swimming pool. So the bottom of the swimming pool would be covered with everything that religious symbols, everything would be in the bottom of the swimming pool. He just liked water. He'd put water everywhere. So... I, the dog died of lymphangiectasia, which is a very rare disease where the dog filled up with water and drowned on his own body fluid. Now, he had no no problems before this happened. Was it a coincidence that he died two weeks later and during this time nothing had happened? Or was this real? I don't know. I, can't, I don't know if the demon was in him. 
but I do know that the dog died, and when the dog died, everything started to happen again. All right, so they told you that the dog said or gave them permission to— Yes. Okay, for, to allow this to happen. Yes. All right, so after that, everything stopped, correct? Right. Okay, then the dog dies two weeks later. I, you know, I don't know the exact time how long he died, two weeks, okay. a month, but I do know during the time everything was quiet. So after the dog died, things started to pick up again? Right. Okay. Right back where we were to begin with. We talked to another lady who was, was uh, her name was uh, Evelyn Paglini. This lady was supposed to be an extremely powerful woman. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, she was very well known. Powerful she in which way? She tried to come and help us. What, what do you mean by powerful? What do you mean by that? From what we understand, she had she was a very powerful magician. Okay. She she did different spells, helped people. She from from her reputation, she was able to clear houses of of entities. Was she an, involved in Wicca? I, well, yeah, she, I would think she was a Wiccan. Yeah. Okay, go right ahead. Okay, uh, the entity absolutely hated Doctor Paglini. Would call her all kinds of names, filthy names, on the mirror. Just hated her. But during the time when she was here, she said, "This this this entity is so powerful, I can't get rid of it." She said, "I just have no say." She said, "One of the problems is someone in the house is giving it permission to stay." And wow. she said, if something has permission to stay in your house, nobody can get rid of it. Who do you think that was? Well, I knew it wasn't me, and I knew it wasn't my husband and, and, and mother-in-law, so the only one I suspected was my father-in-law. <clears throat> and she said, uh, do you know who it is? I said, no, I don't. I have my suspicions, but I don't know. She said, well, I'll find out. She said, I'm going to do something tomorrow morning. You'll be able to t tell me what happens, and I'll tell you who's in, who is keeping the demon in your house. The next morning, during the night, my father-in-law wakes up about 3 o'clock and has this coughing fit. I mean, it was so bad we were going to call the ambulance. And it's just, and just as quick as it came, it stopped, and he went, laid right back down and went to sleep. It was like nothing happened. And I told Dr. Bellini this the next day, and she said, he's the one that is in, he's allowing the demon to stay in your house. He's giving it permission. So that was that. Then... Two or three days later, my we're like I said, we all slept in this bedroom together. My father-in-law jumps up in bed with a with a start, you know, like a yelp. And we're getting out of bed and running over, saying, "What's the matter?" And he pulled out from under the, the this is amazing. He pulls out from under the the blanket a spearhead, and it's about 18 inches long, and it's made of metal and it's handmade, and it's ice cold, and it's dangerous looking. And he said, where did this come from? And I remember thinking, oh, goodness, i got to get this away from him. So I remember I took it. And I went in to Mr. Entity in the mirror, and I said, did you bring this, Mr. Entity? And he said, yes. I want you to perform, I want him to perform a blood ritual on Lena. And I said, I remember looking at the mirror, and I told him, no one's going to perform any blood ritual. You're not having a blood ritual. And I, this is now my spear. And he got so upset, he blew out all the windows in the top floor of the house. But I kept the spear. I still have the spear. I don't, it's in a safe place so he doesn't get it back. Was she in the home when this happened? Yes, yeah, she was right in bed with him. Unbelievable. And 
we took the spear the next day to the museum to see what it was, and we were told it was a uh, <clears throat> a spearhead from the Belgian Congo area. It was over 200 years old, and the gentleman told me this isn't a spearhead that's used for for uh, war. And it's not one that's used for hunting. He said it's not sharpened. The sides aren't sharpened for this type of – to use it that way. He said that at the top is pointed. He said this is a spearhead that would have been used by a, a uh, shaman or a medicine man in uh, ritual <clears throat> magic. So that's what it was. And it's, it was like over 200 years old. It's all handmade. And it's, it's just an amazing apport. And they couldn't believe it. They said, this looks like it's brand new. Where did you get it? And I said, you wouldn't believe me if I told you. So that is that is the most amazing thing. With all the pictures, I kept that. And it's the most amazing piece you can, you can't, you have to see it to believe it. Now, I, I want to ask you about your father-in-law. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, it was... You guys thought at that at that point that he was the one saying you can stay, right? Mm -hmm. Now, did you ever have that conversation with him, asking why or what his thoughts were? <laughs> yes. He seemed pretty pretty quiet about everything. We would we would confront him with it. Are you are you keeping it here? Do you want it here? No, I don't want anything to do with this. No, no. And then something strange happened. I was usually the only one that went into the guest bathroom to talk to Mister Entity. Everybody else was frightened to. I noticed him sneaking into the bathroom. And I just kind of backed off. And then I noticed, now when I went by the bathroom, the mirror was always full of writing because Mr. Entity was constantly communicating. And I went in and the mirror was clean. And then I went in a little while later and Mr. Entity wrote, he's the one that wipes the mirror. And then Mr. Entity explained to me how he would come in and ask Mr. Entity to hurt my mother-in-law because he wanted her dead. He would actually ask him and Mr. Entity would tell me that. She comes in and asks me to hurt her. Wow. So <clears throat> we find it. My mother-in-law was a type of woman that was her husband. She was Italian. She believed you didn't get divorced. You stayed with him. You went through thick or thin with him. We tried to convince her, you got to get rid of your husband. That we're never going to get rid of Mr. Entity if you don't force your husband to leave. Finally, he went to, we, I went to different psychiatrists because she thought maybe he had a mental problem. He could get rid of all this. Nothing worked. They, he even received a certificate saying he was sound mentally. But so finally, though, she told me he had to leave. Now, this is when we got really got rid of Mr. Entity. Even though he left, he was gone for Mr. Entity still stayed in the house. But even though Mr. Entity was still violent, he, he communicated even more and hurt her even less. It was like there was a change. Once he was gone, Mr. Entity communicated more and he didn't wasn't as destructive. He would say nasty things like Lee die and this and that, but he was more communicating. Um, Gary Williams, this is how we got Mr. Entity left. This was like a year later. My father in law had been gone, but Mr. Entity was still there doing his what he did. Uh, Gary moved back in with us, didn't keep investigating. Now Gary was a very was kind of strange, and he was a very unhappy man. And he said to me, because he realized how powerful Mr. Entity was, he said, "Do you think if I offered Mr. Entity to come with me to be with me, that he can help me with my life?" And I remember saying, "Gary, don't even think of such a thing. That's you don't want to get involved with Mr. Entity." 
But he said, I have no life. It's better than no life. So he actually went into Mr. Entity, and he told Mr. Entity he was leaving and going to England. Mr. Entity could come with him and be part of his life. Oh, no. And I remember I went into Mr. Entity, and I said, Mr. Entity, you can't stay here now. You can't stay here. Dad's gone. You have no permission to be here. All, we, my mother, my kids, and we all love each other. There's only going to be love in this house. You're not going to get fed. So it's time for you to leave. And I remember him saying, I don't want to go. Don't make me go. I said, you have to go. And I said, Gary said you can go with him. He said, I won't go with Gary. He's an empty vessel. And I said, what do you mean by that? He said, he has no integrity. He has no word. He has no honor. And then I'm thinking, why, you know, to know, stop and think, here's this entity, this Mr. Entity, a demon who does these horrible things, yet he doesn't want to go with a man who has no honor or integrity. That I didn't understand this part. I mean, why would a demon not want to go with someone like Gary? But he didn't want to go with him because he said he was an empty vessel. So I said, well, you don't have a choice. It's time for you to go. You have to go now, Mr. Entity. And Mr. Entity, when Gary was leaving the day, I went in and I said, you have to go now, Mr. Entity. And the last thing that Mr. Entity wrote on the mirror was, goodbye, my family. And he left with Gary and he's never been back. Unbelievable. I'm I'm speechless, honestly. I want to know, have you heard from Gary since then or what happened with Gary? <laughs> yeah, I kept in contact with Gary. Uh I felt sorry for Gary. Gary actually was a was a good friend at the time. He tried to help us and everything he could do. He just had problems. Um, he said he didn't want to talk about Mr. Entity, but I remember he told me at first when he went to his apartment when he moved that he started finding the triangles with the tail. And then everything Gary stopped talking about Mr. Entity. He wouldn't talk about him anymore. And then Gary ran into a lot of different problems and everything. And Gary has a lot of problems. Even now, he, he works in the paranormal field saying he's a, a psychic now, and he has a lot of problems. So I don't is, is Mr. Entity with him? I don't think so, because I don't think as bad as Mr. Entity was, he didn't want to be associated with Gary for some reason, but he did leave here. What Mr. Entity was, I don't know. I'll, I don't know if I'll ever know what he was. Was he a demon? Was he a, one person that came thought he was a gen? I don't know what he was. I just know that for six years, he was part of our life. I mean, it was like we lived in the twilight zone. It was the, it was the most terrifying yet the most amazing thing that ever happened. It was just, it's just absolutely amazing. So you never found any type of connection with your family, per se, with this thing, this entity? No. Okay. No. Mr. Entity would not. Mr. Entity started bringing me gifts. When Dad left, and Mr. and I was telling Mr. Entity, you have to go. He started bringing me gifts. He would bring me. I remember we went to some place, and there was a a beautiful. Uh, uh, I love stones. For some reason, I love rocks and stones. Just rocks, <laughs> regular old rocks on the ground. I just love rocks. And he would bring me rocks from all over and leave me presents, and jewelry, and we were. I mean, different kinds of things. He would leave me presents all the time. Would you keep those things? Do you know what? I put everything, a lot of things in a box, and I just put them away in the attic. 
because I didn't want anything to do with him. And like I said, when he left, we had decided we wouldn't bring him up. We wouldn't talk about him because my mother-in-law was so frightened that he would come back. So I put the so yes in the back. I, that's why I have I have the spear saved. I have some of the reports. He gave me a a real old bell. Uh, there was some jewelry. I mean, I kept everything in a box of rocks. So I have the reports still. Um, and the pictures. There's like over 300 pictures of the demon writing. If he was a demon, but the writing is. And here's one thing that to me is the most fascinating thing. I have a few pictures. Now. Every time he wrote, he, he would write on the mirror in the bathroom. And in the mirror, you can see the, when you look in the pictures, you can see in the reflection of the mirrors, you can see the bathroom. In three different pictures, you, I took a picture in the bathroom of the bathroom mirror, but the reflection you're seeing is of the kitchen. It's not the same room that the mirror was in. This is just mind-boggling, honestly. I, I, I mean, I don't, I've never heard of anything like this this is just unbelievable unbelievable i encourage anybody to look at the pictures um you know they can go to the website a deadly haunting uh -huh. and they can look at the, some pictures there there's also i have another book out called unwelcomed which is the true story it's like my perspective on it mm -hmm. and it has over 125 pictures in it wonderful of the, of the writing and the, the things he did I mean, it's, you know, if you were ever in, in Altaloma, California, you are welcome to come to my house and I will show you everything and tell you the story again and show you things that are un un unbelievable. Wow, it is truly unbelievable. I appreciate your time so much in telling us this incredible story. Deborah, the, besides the book that you have coming out now, is it out already? Or Yes. Yeah, been out for a while. It's unwelcomed. Okay. It's, you can get that on Amazon, but it's it's more of a documentary type. So it's not more of a, Joey's version was like a story. This is telling you just what happened, step by step. And and uh, listeners can get that where? On Amazon. Both books are available at Amazon. Thank you for listening. I invite you to follow my other podcast, Mysterious Radio. Please share this show with others that are interested in the paranormal. I want to give a special thanks to our co-creator and executive producer, Kim Kyle, who brought this show to you today. And working hard behind the scenes, our team of four, I want to thank them as well. I am your host, K-Town, and you're listening to Paranormal Fears. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.